Thanks for listening to The Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. Pastor Jim is away on his JOA ride, the journey of awesomeness. I got a text update yesterday, last night. He is halfway done when I talked to him. He said, all is good, everybody finished. Pray for me tomorrow because tomorrow is the hard part. So as we speak, he is probably on a bike somewhere in Virginia. So be praying for him as well. Pastor Jim, when you watch this back, I just wanna say good job. Great job on the JOA. As you know, he's been riding for a while. So good job, Pastor Jim. He's a great leader because he's a leader of doing, right? So he's riding and doing a great thing for a great cause. So congratulations, Pastor Jim. Good job. Now, before we begin today, I have, for what I have prepared, uh, it's a special day, special Sunday here at Real Life. If you guys haven't seen already, it is one year of marriage for me and my wife. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. It's all her. She is the greatest partner ever. So we got some pictures. Look how, look how sweet we are. Um, so uh, as I was saying this morning, everybody's like, happy anniversary. And I was like, thanks. I know all the ins and outs of marriage now after one year. <laughs> all right, awesome. We're awake. Some of you guys are like, yeah, right. So Caitlin, to my lovely wife, there is no one I'd rather be married to. There is no one I'd rather spend it with. And there's no better way to spend our anniversary than working. No, I'm kidding. There's no better way to celebrate our anniversary than where it started in this building. So here's to a year. We got plenty of more. I can't wait to celebrate. We're going out to eat, and y'all, we're getting an appetizer. Hallelujah. So it's going to be a great time. We went out yesterday. We're going to go out today because we can. Uh, no kid life. Anyways, so over the last few weeks, uh, we've been kind of going back and forth. We've had a guest speaker. We've had ba Pastor Jim kind of share as well. But God has really laid on our hearts the sense of being on mission, right? We had a series called Mission Impossible, where over the last month or so, we have really just been locking in what our mission is and what God is calling us to do. And as Pastor Jim, as we're planning as a staff to get ready to kind of take over the summer and what we have planned for the summer, uh, kind of looking forward to the calendar, I knew that today was gonna be the day that I preached. And Pastor Jim, we were setting kind of the guidelines and everything like that. We're kind of planning out what the summer series is gonna look like. And normally, I'm all about, like, Pastor Jim, whatever you tell me, I have a notebook, I have a paper, I am ready. Whatever you say, whatever you wanna go, it's how we're gonna go. Why? I want parameter as much as possible. That way, I know that I'm not gonna mess it up. But this time, Pastor Jim's like, oh, let's see what we're doing. I'm like, actually, Pastor Jim, uh, I actually have something on my heart that God has laid on my heart, and I would like to share it with the church, if that's okay. So, we're flying solo today. There's no parameter, we're flying solo. So, I need you guys today. So, but I told Pastor Jim, I have something God has laid on my heart that I truly believe is part of the DNA of this church and is vital to our mission as well. It is what real life is about and what is something we need to embody as a church. And see, we're talking about mission, our mission 
today. And for me, it is always easier to understand something if we have a definition. So a mission is defined as an important assignment carried out for political, religious, or commercial purposes, typically involving travel. An important assignment carried out for religious purposes. So today, I want to not only have us understand what my mission is, but a mission that I believe is for the church as a whole. So, can anyone guess what my mission is? Let me just, let me, let me give you a hint here. Can anybody guess what the youth pastor's mission is? Youth, amen! Anybody, teenagers, kids in middle school and high school, the awkward kids, the awesome kids, the kids that are in high school, middle school, teenagers, we love them, parents. They're the greatest. And see, Pastor Jim mentioned last week in closing that I'd be speaking, and immediately after service, I was met by Dave Leslie. Dave Leslie, are you in the building today? No? I didn't think I saw you. I tell you what, I'm going to stop writing people into my like, notes and sermons and stuff because they're never here. I'm always like, oh, yeah, like they'll be here. No, no. So Dave Leslie meets me after church. He's like, brother, what? Just give me one word. One word, what are you preaching about next week? And I said, teenagers. And Dave looked at me and said, well, they're our future. Amen. And I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. But today, I want to add something to it. See, youth are our future, but youth are also the now church. And that's what I want us to embody today. See, what I mean by that is they are a part of the church today. And I believe teenagers can be used for God's kingdom now. They can be used to glorify and further God's kingdom today. They have a purpose here now as teenagers that is going to further the kingdom now. It's not something that they have to wait for. It's not something that they have to wait until they're older, you know, when they're more mature. God can use teenagers now for his kingdom. And then, so that's the now part, right? Teenagers are our now. Then there's the future side. Well, guess what? They're gonna grow up. They're gonna grow old. They're gonna have a family. They're gonna bring their family to church. And then that is the future. So it's kind of a double thing here. Youth are our now, but they're also the future of our church. And I always want, when I, when God lays something in my heart, I never want it to be not backed up by scripture. So I was like, God, what is an instance in the Bible that teenagers are used for your kingdom? And God put it on my heart today. So we're gonna talk about three teenagers. If you wanna open up your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Daniel. That is where we'll be at today, and we're gonna start off in chapter three. In this chapter, we learn about three teenagers named Hananiah, Michelle, and Azariah. And you guys are probably like, who? Well, see, we know them by their Babylonian names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. See, and we know that they're younger. We know that they're teenagers because when we look in Daniel 1, it is, they are described as young men. And back then, young men were between the ages of 13 and 20. So to be ordered to be described as a young man, you had to be in that parameter. So we know that they are young, okay? So scripture tells us during, it's during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. And can we pause for a moment and just, what is up with all these biblical names? 
King Nebuchadnezzar. Do you know how many times I had to write that in my notes today? A lot. Can anybody spell it? I had to look it up like seven times. I just started writing King Nebi instead in my notes because I didn't feel like typing it out. There's no King Kyle in the Bible. It is all long names. Rant over. So he had a golden statue built. He had a golden statue built and he invited all of his political leaders, all of his leaders in general. And there he made a decree when the statue was sought that whenever anyone in the land hears music, no matter what time of day, no matter what these people are doing, when you hear the music, you are to stop what they're doing and you are to bow to the statue. Daniel 3, 7 says, sounds at the sound of the musical instruments. All the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. All people bowed to the statue. All people. All the adults, all of the leaders, anybody and everyone bowed to the statue. When the music started playing, oh, it's three o'clock, time to, time to get down on my face in front of this statue. No matter what, it says regardless, all people bowed to the statue, except, you guessed it, our boys Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These were the only three in the land that didn't bow. And when they were turned in to King Nebuchadnezzar, he tried to give them an out. He basically, they came, they brought him in front of the king and he was like, guys, come on. Is what I'm hearing true that you guys don't wanna bow to this statue? Is what I'm hearing true? And the reason why I love teenagers so much is because parents, we all know that they're, they're stubborn, right? Amen? You're, no, your, your, your teenagers aren't stubborn? Oh, okay, that's cool. Tell me your secret. But we know that teenagers can be stubborn at times, right? You'll be like, hey, do that. And they'll be like, no, right? That's teenagers for us. So verse 16 is how they responded. <clears throat> King Nebuchadnezzar said, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Amen for teenager stubbornness. The king says, are you sure? Because this is the punishment. You're gonna go in the furnace. They said, do it, do it, right? The stubbornness of teenagers. They said, we would rather die than to bow to your statue. We know that God is gonna deliver us, but even if he doesn't and we die, we're gonna die, like we're not doing it. So teenagers are awesome. Stubbornness works in our favor for once, but not only did they stand before the king, but they gave, he gave them an opportunity to back out. He gave them an opportunity to come up with an excuse to maybe make it easier, make it, make it so it's not as a harsh of a punishment. He gave them the out, and what did they say? Mm -mm. Even if God doesn't deliver us, we're willing to pay the price. 
and we see how this plays out because after they say this, King Nebuchadnezzar gets mad. His mood changes, his face changes, he gets angry. And he says, crank up the furnace seven times hotter than usual. Seven times hotter. Put it all the way up, he says. The Bible says that the furnace was so hot that the men that threw the three men, the young men, into the furnace died. And this wasn't just like some random people off the streets. This, the Bible says that it is part of King Nebuchadnezzar's strongest men. Died, not being in the fire, but being around it. That is how hot the furnace was. And so we get to the point, the three young men are in the fire. They're in the furnace. King Neb, Nebuchadnezzar gets what he wanted. He casts the boys into a fire. He makes a statement. Oh, yeah, I'm making a statement out of you. Now, no, now people know the consequences behind what happens if you don't listen. And so if we look to the Septuagint in, the Septuagint in Daniel 3.24, it says that King Nebi, Nebuchadnezzar's attention was caught. See, Nebi's. King Nebi's attention was caught when he heard singing coming from the furnace. And he looked into the furnace and saw four people. See, the attention was caught by King Nebuchadnezzar when he heard singing or praising in the furnace. And the Bible says he looked and he said, hey, didn't we throw three into the fire? And his men said, absolutely, there should only be three. Everyone else died, there should be three in there. But there's a fourth and it looks like the son of God. Here's where I'm going today, church. God used teenagers to display his faithfulness. While everyone else, including the adults, including the spiritual leaders of the land, were bowing to the laws of King Nebuchadnezzar, to the statue, submitting to the king, there were teenagers that took a stand that said, we don't care what you do to us. We don't care if you kill us. We would rather die than bow to your gods. See, God used them to send a message. And that message is he will never leave us. Not even when things get hot. Not when the furnace is cranked up seven times hotter than normal. Not when you think the world is ending or you're in the valley or you're in the lion's den. God in this moment is in the fire with us. And it says it right here in Daniel 3. See, God was able to use these teenagers to not only send a message of his faithfulness, but to use these teenagers to further his kingdom. See, there comes a time where King Nebi sees, well, we, thought we threw three in the fire. What are they doing? They're walking around, and there's four of them in there. So he instructs them in verse 28. He instructs them to come out come out of the fire, you three. And he says this, verse 28, then Nebuchadnezzar said, praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego 
be cut into pieces and their house be burned into piles of rubber for no other God can save in this way. Amen. See, let's take it from what we started. When we started, it was, hey, you need to bow to this God or you're gonna die. You need to obey this decree or else you are going to be in the fire. You are going to be in the furnace. Whoever doesn't will die. See, God used Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's obedience to him to change the narrative. Because now, at the end, after God's standing in the fire with these young men, the narrative changes to there is only one God that can save in this way. And all it took were teenagers that knew who they were, whose they were, and that they had a purpose. With those three things, they did the unthinkable. It was teenagers that led the charge. Teenagers that changed the trajectory of the land. Teenagers that took a stand for Christ. They were willing to die for their faith. And see, church, that is my mission here in this building, in this house. That is what I want our mission to be, is because I want kids to know three things when they come encounter this place, when they come encounter our youth group. I want them to know three things. One is that they are loved. Two is that they matter. And three is that they have a purpose. Those are the three things that we should embody as a church. Not just for our teenagers, but for everybody in the house. See, that is the mission in the heart, and I want kids to know that they have a purpose now. That God can use them now. And I truly, truly believe in my heart of hearts that this generation of teenagers that we are seeing, God is going to use for big things. I truly believe that they are going to lead a charge for their generation, that they're gonna lead a movement for the kingdom. And it starts now. Not when they're older, it starts now. So we've talked about what our mission is and what the heart behind the matter is. Now let's chat about the why. Because as a church family, I believe that you should know the heart and vision of the pastor that is leading your youth and leading your teenagers, your, your kids and everything like that because you, you're only able to get behind the what if you truly know the why. And my why stems back early youth ministry for me. So any of you that might not know or don't know kind of like my tenure, my, my resume, whatever, um, I have been pastoring this youth group for probably about three years now. I'm going into my fourth, praise the Lord. But before I pastored, I was heavily involved as a youth leader with this same youth group. So I was more of a leadership role versus pastoral role. But since I was a freshman in college, so easy enough to say that I have been fully immersed in this real life youth group, right? So when I remember why I got into ministry, and everybody's like, Pastor Bailey, what is your why? What gets you up in the morning? I always remember a story of a specific student because, because of this one student is the reason why I wake up every day and I 
get to work, and I put on my shoes, I get to work, and I truly, truly try to do the most I can for this, for this youth group, for God, it's because of this one student. This student came into our youth group late, meaning he was probably a junior, junior, sophomore, junior by the time we got to him. And you could tell, when you, when you see a kid come in, you could tell, you know, just that they got some stuff going on. And this kid kind of had some stuff going on. You could tell just by your conversation with him, just by, you know, kind of how he carries himself. He was lost, he was insecure, broken, and he was searching for answers. What better place to find an answer than in church, right? <clears throat> and he had a little bit of background in church. He grew up a little bit in church, but not much. He knew the basics, but not the AG basics. Feel me? See, what I mean by that is there was a worship night one night, and one of our leaders prayed over him and began praying in tongues over this student. And afterwards, you know, I was hey, how'd you like the worship night? And he's like, oh, man, that was pretty cool, but uh, someone's mom, like, prayed in Italian over me or something? Yeah, I didn't really understand it, but, like, it's definitely Italian. I could, I know that much. So that's what we're dealing with here, you know, basics but not AG basics. Well, things were moving with this student. You know, we were building traction, we were building momentum. He was getting involved. He was showing up more. Well, then the one thing that is detrimental to our youth that we're trying to work on that made this, that was like kind of rocky. We weren't sure if we were ever going to see this kid again. He broke up with the girl that was in youth group. That is a detriment. And parents, we are believing and praying for relationships in college, not in high school. So we're praying and believing for that. Can I get some amens from the parents today? Amen, amen. We believe that there needs to be a degree before you get in a relationship. No, I'm just kidding. But we definitely, we definitely, it's one of those things that it gets awkward, right? You break up with the girl, she's still there, you're still there puppy love, you know, whatever. So breaks up this girl, and I'm like, oh my goodness, we are never going to see this kid again. Thought for sure. Nope. All right, that was fun. Well, it lasted. But guess what? He continued to come to church. He continued to go to youth group. And through whatever life threw at this kid, good, bad, ugly, he would show up. And I thought to myself, how is this kid still coming to church? It's not like he had family here. Mom and dad didn't go to church. It's not like he had siblings that went to church. The only person that brought him to church was his girlfriend and her family, and he broke up with them. How is this kid still showing up on a Sunday? See, we had youth at, on Sunday nights as well back then, so we had it in the morning and at the night. And as I was thinking about it, it kind of hit me. See, church was the most consistent thing in his life. No matter what, 
no matter if it was a good week or a bad week, every Sunday, whether in the morning or at night, the house of God was there. You see, church, youth isn't just a time on the weekday where your kids get to come play some games, get sweaty, maybe have like a popsicle or you know, have snack or anything like that. Like, yeah, we have fun. But what I want us to know today is youth, this youth ministry that we have here at this church is a beacon for kids to come to the house of God. We exist to have a space for your teenagers to get away from the distractions of the world and to be in God's presence. That is why we exist. We take two hours on a Wednesday, and what do we do? We just pour into these kids. We pour in love. We pour in God's message. We pour into them. We breathe into them because we believe in these teenagers. Why? Because, like I said, teenagers need to know three things to be successful. They need to know that they are loved. They need to know that they matter. And they need to know they have a purpose. That is why we exist. That is why we get up in the morning, is to tell them these three things. And so we're going to start bringing it in together. And I want you to know that as we bring it together, that God is going to be in the fire with us. No matter what circumstance, God is in the fire with you. And you ask yourself, well, how do you know? Well, I know because firsthand, God has always been with me through it all. And if you haven't already guessed, if you haven't done your deductive reasoning, and you're like, who is this student he is speaking of? That student was me. See, God never left me during those moments. When I thought I was alone in the world, that nobody cared about me, God was there. <laughs> I promised myself I wouldn't do this. When I was searching for the answers, God was there. When I didn't feel like I was enough, God was there. The most consistent thing in my life as a teenager was the church in the house of God. That is the only reason why I'm here today. And I didn't get here on my own power. I didn't get here by myself. No way. The only way I'm here is because God has ordained it. That is the only reason. And that is why I get up in the morning. That is why I come to church. If I have to stay late, I stay late. If I have to get here early, I have to get here early. If a kid needs me, I am there because I know what it's like to be a teenager and to be lost. And I know exactly the three things that I needed to hear as a teenager. I needed to hear that I was loved, that I, had a, that I mattered in this world, and that I had a purpose. And until I am dead, I'm going to be preaching that and speaking that over the teenagers of this church. Any teenagers that I come in contact with, they're going to know three things when they see me. When they talk to me, they're going to know those three things because I know exactly what it's like. 
And that is what I want us to embody today, church. I want, you, I want to share my mission with you because I want it to be our mission, not just my mission, not just my leadership's mission. I want it to be our mission because I truly, truly believe, and if you truly, truly believe that these students are the now and the future, then that's something we can all get behind today. Amen? So, as long as there are breath in my lungs, those, our kids are going to know those three things. I'm going to ask the band to join me up here, if that's all right. We're going to start closing. We're going to start wrapping it up. Um, over, Pastor Jim said it last week. I said it in our video on Facebook, if you guys check that out. But Pastor, I told Pastor Jim, we were talking the other day. He said, hey, how do you, how do you feel about it? And I said, well... I have an ending. I don't have a beginning. I don't have a middle, but I have an ending, which is new to me because I've never had an ending before. I always just thought like, oh, I'll just pray out and we'll be good. But God has really laid on my heart just something that I want to share with you and something that really embraces and embodies kind of this whole message today. So we're going to have some time today for you to respond. And... I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna invite people and groups and sections to come meet me down at the altar and I just want you guys to have a chance to respond today. So if you're a teenager, if you're in youth, middle school, high school, whether or not you graduate or not, if you just wanna meet me down here at the front. So Bobby, Elias, if you guys wanna come. But you guys can just go ahead and meet me down right here, yep. No, you guys are doing great. Yeah, good job. You guys are doing great. Okay, next, if I could have parents meet me down here. Parents of these students, maybe you have parents or you're parents of people in kids' church. I want you to meet me with these students today, parents. It doesn't have to be anything, but if you're a parent in the room, I want you down here. Alrighty. Now, if anyone else, if you're a part of this church and you believe that our teenagers are the future or are the now or anything like that, I want you down here as well. There's a reason for all this, I promise. Exactly. I, 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 got, I tried to get all of our all of our demographics here. See, this is the ending that God really laid on my heart. This is something that I was like, ah, I don't know. We've done, we've done some altar calls before. We've done some time together. This is getting, yeah. But then I was like, God's just like, no, trust me. So I called you guys this way for a reason. You're like, why? Why, Pastor Bailey? Here it is. To my youth, to the teenagers, you guys are the future. You are the now, and it's gonna to be tough sometimes, right? High school, right? High school's tough, especially now. But you guys are our future. You guys are leading the charge, and that is what I firmly believe. And at any time that you guys feel like you're unworthy, that you feel like you don't matter, that you're not loved, any time that you guys don't feel like you can move forward, I want you to look behind you. Go ahead, look behind you. 
Who is standing behind you? Your parents are standing behind you. And who is standing behind them? The church. So, you guys are our world changers. To my parents, I see your kids weekly. I know how they are. Sometimes they can get a little stubborn. Sometimes they don't wanna do the dishes. Sometimes you feel like, hey, I don't know if I can be a parent anymore. I don't know if I can do this. I think my kid's going off the rails. He's, he or she is not, we're okay. But if that's you, if you ever feel that way, I want you to look behind you. Who is standing behind you today? The church is standing behind you. And then to our church, everybody else, we've talked about it, we joke about it, we say, oh man, this world, what is becoming of our world? What is becoming of it? It's going down. There is no hope. But I wanna challenge you and encourage you today. If you want hope, I want you to look to the front. If you want hope, it starts here at the altar. It starts here as we lift up and pray for our youth and our generation. It starts here. Not on Facebook complaining about whatever. Oh, oh, gas is $10. Yeah, guess what? It starts here at the altar in God's house with our teenagers because they are, they're gonna do something about it now and they're gonna do something about it in the future. And that is what I want us to embody today as a church family. I want us to breathe together. I want us to believe that these teenagers are meant for something. See what God sees, see what I see. And if you're parents, you probably do, but if you're not, you can see that there are world changers down here. Kids that are gonna make a difference. And so the band is gonna come and I just want us to be together in this moment. I want us to be in the fire together. If we could do that today. So if you wanna pray over our teenagers, our students here, awesome. I encourage you to do that. But I pray that you pray for our youth, not just this youth, the youth of Erie, PA, the youth of Pennsylvania, the youth of this nation. We're gonna do our part here in Erie. We're gonna do our part here at Real Life Youth but we're praying for other churches to respond as well, other teenagers to respond in this moment. And we just pray for the generation, this generation, right? It can get scary at times looking at this generation that the enemy has, right? School is a lot different from when I was in school. And that was only like eight years ago. I know it's, but, Put it back to when you were in school. It's a lot different. A lot has changed. The enemy has a hold on some of our youth. And I say some because we have teenagers that are willing to stand for the kingdom. And I truly believe that the enemy is trying to distract, to destroy this generation because he knows what's gonna happen if we're united. He knows the power of this generation. He knows the power that this generation can extend his kingdom with, and he is scared. And so I want us to believe as a church in the mightiness of our teenagers, because they can do ministry now. They can pray over our church now. 
They can be a part of service now. It's not something that they wait until they have a 401k, until they have a job, they have a car, they have everything in line. God can use teenagers now. And we're ready, right? Amen. So